In this episode, we continue our conversation with Christy Hunter Arscott. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In our last episode, we sat down and we met Christy Hunter Arscott. She is the author of the forthcoming book, Begin Boldly, which is all about how women can take charge in their lives. Uh, she's also a Rhodes Scholar and an overall genuine and amazing human being. We talked all about her story so far, how she got to this point in her career, and why gender equity is such an important conversation for her. And in this episode, we're going to be diving a little bit deeper. We're going to be talking about her views on what she calls strategic risk-taking. That is, how can you, rather than mitigating risk, which sounds inherently negative, uh, approach risk from a positive perspective, approach risk from something that is considered, something that makes sense, and something that you've thought through the obstacles and the outcomes. We also talk about how to, once you've thought through it, once you've made the plan, actually get started and how to actually take that first step, how to, in Christie's words, begin boldly. So this is a phenomenal conversation, one that I had a lot of fun having. I do want to remind you, if you want a uh, uh, another part, so you want me to bring Christy back on, leave a question in the comments on the YouTube uh, video. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to collect those questions, invite her back on. We'll do another part where she answers your questions directly. So the YouTube link is in the description of this episode. Make sure you check that out and leave your question. So I'm sitting down with Christy. Uh, so in our last episode, you brought up this conversation around strategic risk taking. Yeah. Could you, before we dive into it, could you just lay out for that? Like, what, what does that mean? Yeah. So it goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about before is it's not enough just to tell women go out or be bold or any individual, just take all risks all caution to the wind. You can do anything you want to do. You know, we'd be doing a disservice to society if we're doing that. And really what this book is, is creating calibrated tools to help women take intentional risks. So what that means is providing you with a method or framework. And one thing I was recently talking about in an interview was that I'm not telling you, Greg, to get, you've never been paragliding. I'm not telling you to put on a paraglider 
and a blindfold and jump off the highest mountain and just like, go for it, be bold. I'm saying you probably need a method and a framework and the right tools to learn how to take risks. And this book is your custom tool. So strategic and intentional risk-taking means actually having a method to assess the risk and thinking about it. So I introduced this bold moves method, which is essentially assessing your motivation, the opportunity and opportunity cost, your future state vision for the best case scenario, because we've got to counteract our brain's tendency to think about the worst case scenario, um, coming up with an end game plan, whether something goes well or doesn't, what are the outcomes looking like? And then thinking about our support structure, because I, um, I was recently talking to someone and I said, I think this whole narrative around people being self-made is so fascinating, but we live in an interconnected world. And even if you feel like you were um, functioning without anyone else around you, unless you were on an island by yourself, you're, you're not. And so we can't underestimate the importance of support as we look at creating bold careers, which require risk, require failure, require learning and moving forward. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Don't get me started on the question of being self-made or not. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you love do- her self-made lists, right? <laughs> Ah, fantastic. Um, So break that down for us a little bit. Do you have any um, uh, examples you can pull from of like what strategic risk taking looks like in practice? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I think it's like, I guess it's, do you mean like how you would apply the framework specifically? Yeah, like say I want to, to make whatever change, like how would I approach it from a strategic? Okay, so... I will give you an example of making the decision on whether to take the risk of writing my book, just to put it like, make it personal. And ultimately I would just, des- I have to decide whether this is a risk of worth making. So first when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, what is my motivation? And if I can't figure out a motivation that matters, it's not going to, you know, serve any purpose. So One red flag is looking at yourself just in comparison to others or a tick the box exercise or something, because really when the going gets tough and you've got that inner critic or self-doubt, you need to come back to your motivation and it won't maintain momentum if it doesn't matter. So for me, it wasn't just, I have to do something, you know, why is it that I wanted to do this? And it all came back to really wanting to equip and empower women to build bold and brilliant careers in a way that is really applicable and actionable is not just fluff and quotes and inspiration, but this is, I heard from so many women, this is 
I want more than this is how I did it. I want, this is how you can do it too. And that's what really that motivation of equipping people with something practical and actionable really was strong. The next was the opportunity and opportunity cost. So one thing in, I, I always talk about is the power of language and that language can either elicit action or inhibit action. So we shouldn't underestimate how we refer to things. And so when I say I need to, should I take the risk of writing a book? I suddenly think, oh, risks are things that are meant to be managed or mitigated, you know, or avoided or, and really instead I reframe it as I have the opportunity to write this book. Should I take the opportunity of writing this book? And so framing it as an opportunity statement helps. But I also had to think about the opportunity cost, which is the O in the moves framework, which is realistically, let's have a real conversation. What am I going to have to give up? What am I going to have to say no to? All of those different aspects because of this. Um, and I think we need to we need to address some of those things to be strategic and intentional around risk. You have to address those up front. You can't have, pretend that those don't happen. There were a lot of things I had to give up in this process. Then the next is vision. What's my vision for the best future case scenario? Because our cognitive ways of thinking, we're often going to think about the worst case rather than the best case. So ground yourself in the best case so that you'll be more, you'll have more aptitude for risk. And then the next is E and end game plan. So Ultimately, what am I going to do if this book does really well? What am I going to do if it doesn't? And am I comfortable with both, right? And then the final is, what is my support structure? So that involves stakeholders, success advisors, and a safety net. But ultimately, the people that will, if this book does really well, will help me rise to the occasion, get past my internal roadblocks, help me make the most of the opportunities. And if it flops, those people that are going to support me in figuring out why and what's next. And so when I talk about strategic risk-taking, again, it's that moves, assessing your motivation, opportunity and opportunity cost, future state vision, so that's your VE, your vision, your end game plan for good and bad scenarios, and your support. And that's really the, the process. So I love this framework um, because as you said uh, a little bit earlier, really what it comes down to is do you have the right tools? Like if you want to take whatever your risk looks like, do you have an actual process for uh, uh, evaluating that risk, evaluating what mm -hmm. would would be the cost of that risk and, and so on and so forth yeah. and laying it out in such a like straightforward way makes a lot of sense. My question that I always come back to, and this is going to be a, a personal question yeah. for you with writing the book, you go through the process, you've got the answers to those questions how do you then in that moment find the courage to start? Because there yeah. is still always that question. Yeah. So your question's great. And so many people grapple with this. And this is why this book is not just a how-to book. The upfront portion addresses risk-taking as a skill set. And to hone that skill set, you need the method, right? So this is a method of assessing risk. But then beyond that, we know we could have all the information in the world on how to get fit and how to get healthy. But if we don't have the right mindset, that information is going to do nothing. And risk taking is no different than that. Right. So this book focuses on the three critical mindsets you need to have to cultivate, to be a great risk taker. And one of them you just touched upon, which is the courageous mindset. And that's where I say, let's not focus on feeling confident before we take a risk, because if we wait for that elusive feeling of confidence to come, 
we will likely never take, make bold moves. Um, confidence is very uh, black and white. It's very fleeting. It can you know, be there one moment, be there in the end. And it's so hard to quantify. But if I say, can I be courageous in the absence of confidence? That helps people move through that fear, move through the uncertainty and have more of an appetite for risk. Yeah. So break that down a little bit for us. What in your mind is the distinction between courageousness and confidence? Yeah. So it's really interesting. Confidence seems like such a, a feeling, an absolute, do I feel confident or not? Right. But when you're courageous, it's, out, it's almost like I have the courage to do X. It's such an action word. And it also doesn't depend on a feeling. You can be courageous while facing self-doubt, while facing lack of confidence. So really, I want people to focus on that feeling of courage, which means I can face fear. I can face self-doubt and still make bold moves. It's hard to say I feel confident while facing fear, while facing self-doubt, while facing your inner critic, while facing... And what I want to say to people is this book is not about avoiding fear or avoiding failure. It's about what actions do we take in the face of fear? And when we fail, how do we recalibrate, grow, and continue to risk to build this really brilliant and rich career? So something that I'm, I'm now very curious about, what was your sort of like worst experience with failure and how did you bounce back from that? Gosh, there have been so many. Um, it's so hard to pick one. Um, I think... Okay, so... One of my... This is an example of something very specific. But when I was growing up, um, I was severely asthmatic. And I was... Because of that, I was not good in PE class. I went back recently to my school and gave a uh, talk and the PE teacher is still there. And she was uh, joking about her always trying to like run to get me and take me and worried about me going to the hospital. And now we look back and it's fine. But at the time it was really, really hard for me. And over the years I built up my fitness and I worked on my breath and I, I used Ventolin and everything. And I became capable of running and I remember as a child, I used to just run from like my gate to the gate next door to get better. And I, I had this perseverance, but then over the years I started training and I thought, gosh, I want to run a half marathon. And I trained. And then on the day of the half marathon, it was one of the hottest, most humid days of the year. And I essentially got to a certain point in the race and I blacked out and I, um, I fainted. And anyways, it's a whole scenario that I actually haven't spoken about. So uh, interesting question. And some people could think blacking out in a race isn't that big of a deal. But for me, academically, I, I, I did well in lots of ways growing up. And this was one of the biggest hurdles in my life was getting myself to the point where I could actually manage my asthma and be an active individual. And so I remember almost blacking out and fainting. And um, and then my husband picked me up and we walked into this house that was nearby. And I remember saying something and I don't even remember, like, I'm always going to be that girl that's not going to pee. Like, I remember him telling, it was like that inner critic 
of that little girl at five that couldn't run in, you know, sports day races just came back at that moment. And it was almost paralyzing. Like I felt like I never wanted to run again and I'd never find enjoyment. And the fact that in this moment of vulnerability where I didn't even like, because I think I've had some level of heat stroke, I couldn't even recognize my husband. I couldn't use my phone. But then the one thing I was thinking about was, oh gosh, I'm always going to be here. And it's so crazy to me because I teach people about how to harness failure for growth. I talk about taking risks and this was a risk for me. I talk about reframing our limiting beliefs, but in this moment of vulnerability that came back to me. So it's really, for me, since then, it's been working through that and being like, what did this teach? What did this experience teach you? And when are you going to risk again? And so I've taken other risks in my life. I've spoken in front of thousands. I've traveled the world. I became an entrepreneur. I've had lots of failures along the way too. I've had proposals that didn't work out, negotiations that fell back on me. I talk about something backfiring um, you know, in the book. But this was such a personal one um, because of the struggles that I had as a child that I, I really had to dig deep to harness that to be able to run again. So it's okay if you don't have a, a real answer to this, but I'm purely just yeah. curious of your thoughts. Where does that need in all of us come from of almost needing to like finish the circle where you are obviously so accomplished professionally, academically, and, and I'm sure in so many other areas of your life. And there's this one area yeah. that you struggled with as a child and, and that means something to you because of it. But because at, at least at that point, you had never sort of like felt like you accomplished what you needed. It still was this heavy moment for you rather than realizing it doesn't really matter if you're like perfect in that way. You have all of these other amazing qualities. Like where does that come from where we, we need to fill the circle for ourselves? Yeah, it's a fascinating question too. So I think when I was younger, I fell more into the trap and this is something I talk about. And I think particularly girls do this. A lot of the work of um, Carol Dweck and Rachel Simmons and others talk about this quest for perfection. And I definitely think when I was younger, I could have failed more than I did if I was a little bit older because I wanted to continue that kind of circle and that, you know, I'm going to get it right and I don't want to fail. And I, I prefer to get an A and when I get an F, it's not input into improvement. It is, I am a failure. So it becomes this identity um, outcome conflation, right? Um, but for this, I think for me, the running piece was not that I ever wanted to run a race. I mean, win a race I um, or be perfect by any sense. But it was running was one of the few things where it was horrifically difficult for me because of my asthma. And I had proven that there is a growth curve that we can go along in life and that talent and capability aren't necessarily fixed. It goes back to Carol Dweck's work, but we are fluid and we can improve. And because in other areas, maybe I started here and then I, you know, improved here. That was great. But with this, I started here and then maybe came here. And there was something so proud to be proud of that process of overcoming trials. And that became part of what I wanted to hold on to, I think, more than let me run the perfect race but I am someone that can improve my capabilities and skills with hard work. And that becomes part of your identity. But then when, 
when you go back to that limiting belief, you're like, wait, what just happened? So um, it's interesting because we're all human and those vulnerabilities come in at any point in time. It may be you tell yourself you'll never be good at networking and you build it up and you're better. But then 10 years later, you go to a high school reunion and you fumble over your words and you think, gosh, I told myself I would never be good or I'm never going to be good at writing or I'm never going to be X. And so it's just interesting. We all grapple with those things. And I actually have lots of tactics in the book that I've tried in my own life and with my clients to interrupt those processes. Yeah, it's almost more painful because since we had to work hard to improve them, we like own that part of our yeah. identity more. And so it's just like ripping it away from you in this like singular. Yeah. It's like, no, you thought you improved, but really you're just her, but really that's your brain just playing on you. So we also do something, and I talk about this as well with my clients, like confirmation bias. So instead of thinking about every time where I ran a race and I did well, or I had a great workout, or I felt strong, or my asthma didn't act up, I will isolate on the one or two instances that reaffirm this bias I had about myself when I was younger. And so we, we self-select the data points we use to confirm our own biases. So if you say to yourself, I'm never going to be good at dating, you're going to think about every single scenario where you dated someone and it didn't work out and not think about the fact that maybe you had some meaningful relationships that contributed to who you are. So it's important to remember that our lens is skewed too. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So that's it for part two of my conversation with Christy Hunter R. Scott. Links to her website as well as to pre-order her book are in the description of this episode, and I highly recommend that you do so. I'm going to be picking up a copy for myself. Uh, listen, if you've enjoyed this so far, two things. One, be sure to come back for part three the final installment of my three-part conversation with Christy. That's going to publish tomorrow. So come back wherever you're listening to or watching this right now. Come back for part three. You're not going to regret it. And then two, the second ask for you, I want to hear from you. Head over to the YouTube right now. If you're watching this on YouTube, head to the comment section. If you are listening to this somewhere, head over to the YouTube. I don't care if you're driving. Pull the car over. Head over to YouTube and just say hi. Leave a comment on the video. I would love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you, and I would love to have that conversation and engagement uh, around the, the topics in this episode. So share your thoughts. Leave a comment down below. Link is always in the description. I've been Greg Clunas. Thank you so much for being here, and remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day.